Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So welcome everybody for another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. This week I'm super, super excited to be joined by someone who I've wanted to get onto the podcast for a while, especially as I found out this guy has been mentoring our mentor or the mentor that we use. So it just made sense to get him on board and and see what he's all about. For those of you that don't know this guy, I'm sure you're going to be pretty amazed by the wealth and the masses of experience this guy has. Uh, and lo and behold, Vanish Patel, thank you very much for joining me on the J2 Hub podcast. Thank you for inviting me, James. No worries at all. I appreciate you're super, super busy and you've got lots going on. So I am very, very thankful for your time. Um, Vanish, I wanted to ask you, first of all, for people that don't know you, can you just give us a little bit of background on who you are and, and a bit about your journey, please? Sure. OK, so um, I, I went to university. Uh, I studied uh, IT. Uh, so I did computer science, uh, got a degree, and then I spent probably about uh, 10 years or so working in lots of large corporations, uh, doing IT projects, um, got my way up to uh, uh, doing what's called VIP desktop, uh, which means uh, dealing with uh, busy corporate executives uh, and and being able to balance technology and looking after those demanding uh, executives and got involved in uh, lots of computer projects. So that's my background, right? So, uh, and then I, I, I ditched all of that and, and spent the next decade uh, doing uh, property. Uh, because I, whilst the corporate city life is great when you're young, it gives you a chance to experience and things. Um, it's not where your future, uh, or certainly my future. So I was definitely going to have my own business. I was definitely going to uh, look at income from assets, and I was definitely going to design uh, a lifestyle that allowed me to enjoy life. Did you always know that whilst you were working for the corporate company that you wanted to go into property, or was there kind of like a light bulb moment during your career mm, that said no? Well, I, so I had I had the advantage that when I uh, was much younger. Uh, I uh, uh, I grew up in a family business. Yeah, I'm a Patel. Surprise, surprise. We had a, a you know a sweet shop, right? So, <laughs> all of that. But also, I was surrounded with uh, uncles, aunts, and other people who had businesses, right? Uh, and I also had the experience of people who worked, and then they had the feast and famine. You know, all great, and then suddenly. Uh, uh, that that situation, and so having had all of that, um, uh, I was fortunate because I grew up in a family where you going and saying, "I'm going to do," I'm not going to do the corporate thing. Um, it wasn't frowned upon. Yeah, so uh, being the black sheep. <laughs> yeah, I you know uh, that uh, so that was encouraged. It was okay, and you know uh, in the early years. Um, a bit of negativity from some side of the family, but there was that, okay, you got some time and, you know, like if you fail, then you've got to go back and get a job, you know, but it wasn't the um, thing of um, no reference points. So I had lots of reference points. 
Right. So you had a you had a family who was very, very supportive and a family of kind of entrepreneurs and business owners already to kind of. Uh... Yeah. So and, and I tell people that when you're young, you don't know that and you don't know any different. Yeah. All right. And so when I meet loads of people who are trying to do it, I go, um, how many entrepreneurs are there in your immediate circle? How many people uh, do you can you look back and had at least a decade, even if it's just living with them, you know, or socializing with them? Um, so most people who come into from a corporate world don't have enough of those uh, role models, you know. Uh, so then when you start venturing, I say you're going to lose friends. Your family's going to be negative towards you. It's it's only when you get to the top of the mountain will you win them over. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, it's the at the bottom of the mountain. There is going to be no support. There's just going to be negative energy. It's part part of the environment. Yeah. So I did that, you know, uh, made some reasonable success uh, in property. uh, And then just like with lots of things, uh, people uh, ask me, you know, how and I'd share information. And then, you know, you go and get invited to come and speak somewhere. You know, I do a bit of that because it's a great way in which you can get your message out. So this is good. I can I can, you know, what I always have the challenge is whenever I get invited to speak, I always how long have we got? (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, maybe it's half an hour, it's an hour. And then I just try to do a brain dump. I just say, I'm going to give 10 years worth of experience and just try to uh, give people uh, whatever information they have. Uh, And because it's you've got to remember, um, you are like you and me, we are in the 10 percent. 90 percent of people earn most of their money through a job. All of us can get a job, but then we're going to start a business and we, you know, starting from zero, that that's a, a, a hard mountain to climb. Yeah, yeah. So what I try to do is I always take some time out, come down the mountain, hang out with some people at the bottom and just say, hey, look, here's, here's the thing. Because at the bottom, you only see obstacles. At the top, when you've done it and you've figured it all out, you can look back and go, Oh, that was easy because you can see the path. But at the bottom, you just see obstacles. So that's why we, we, I encourage people, hang out with people who've traveled a little bit and, and just see that. And, and you know, there, there's nothing different. You know, we all, we all make mistakes. Yeah. So I did the corporate thing. But coming into this, uh, you have certain things that you have to work on. Yeah. Um, so you've got some questions. Is that all? Does that help I, answer your I, give them I, background? I, 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 I have. Yeah. Before I go into those questions, Vanish, I just wanted to say one of the things that really stuck out about you for me on the live call last week was exactly what you just said there, that you very much like to kind of come down and hang out with the groups that are probably starting off or are very early on in their journey. And I think that speaks volumes because, you know, um, for people at the beginning of the journey, you just you need some information. You need maybe a bit of a support network or someone who's been down there. So very kind of... uh, thumbs up to you for doing that and the other thing I really admired about what you was on the last call was putting people under pressure you know there on the live call you were setting them challenges got them doing things really putting people out of their comfort zone and and getting them to live like real life scenarios on how you would speak to an agent or how you would present yourself as a person and I thought that was fantastic because it wasn't just you doing a lot of talking I know a lot of people were kind of shaky when you put them under pressure because I could see it on their faces. So, so yeah, really, well, yeah. this is um, so what, what I always tell people is um, 
you're going to grow. And a lot of people do this in speaking, right? So I've learned, uh, you know, in trying to help people, um, sometimes it's just give information. Uh, but you've also got to interact. You've got to engage, right? And so how you help people is not by keeping them. We call it the comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. But actually, it's the diminishing zone, right? Because the, if you're comfortable, right, you're sliding down the mountain. There are only two ways. You're either sliding down the mountain, right, or you're climbing up, yeah? And what happens is, is we encourage people just to slide down because they're not used to taking action, right? So all I do in, in my interaction is say, hey, we're going to put you in the environment and, and we're going to let you sink and swim, right? But you're going to feel that. If you're not feeling, if your heart's not pumping, you're not growing, mm-hmm. right? But we've got to also be careful that we don't put you uh, in, in, in the stress zone, yeah? So we want you to stretch. That, that's, you know, get your muscles working, but we don't want them to break over that you then you know, uh, fall apart. So I just do these little exercises, uh, and it just gets people thinking and I know it works and grows cause that's how you do it. You stretch a little bit, you push yourself a little bit, you try, uh, and also you have to figure out, you know, uh, what you can do. This is the whole thing. You're in your own business. We all, we all have rules, you know, the country rules to follow, but you can, you can do things. And in the corporate world, you don't know, you're told what to do, you know, where to turn up, uh, where to say it, what to say. So there's that highly structured. When you're in, in your entrepreneurial, you got to promote yourself. If you don't start believing in yourself, um, then things won't uh, work through. Yeah. Um, so I just think that's part of hanging out with people and uh, share some lessons and uh, learning to think for yourself and learning how to analyze a deal. Um, uh, that's important. Um, and so I'm just here to sort of encourage uh, if you want to be entrepreneurial, that's okay. It's okay to be in the ten percent. No, right? You're gonna have you're gonna have to hang out and meet some other people, and it, and it's also okay that ninety percent of the people that you bump into will want to be in the ninety percent. That's also okay. It's okay to get a job. It's if that's your path, you know, your path does not have to conflict with other people's. No, that's some really sound advice, there, Vanish. Thank you. Um, I'm going to move into the first question. Uh, opportunities in property during and following COVID-19. Your opinions on that? See, uh, a lot of people are going to be talking about COVID-19, okay? Uh, and and whatever uh, the government and society has decided to resolve that, right? Um, the simple thing is COVID-19 is the trigger uh, uh, activity that is going to cause the next recession, right? So, Whilst the during of this recording of this call, we are in a recession. We haven't had it officially announced, but if you do enough research, um, that's it. So what it comes to is the fact that um, the the question really should be adjusted, right, to um, what are the changes in the strategy that you need to have in a recession? Yeah. So to take a step back and to give context, um, most people who've come into property recently Right. Certainly for the last 10 years, yeah, pre-19, right? Um, two things that have happened, generally speaking. Um, a property that you purchase today, a year later on, is worth more. Right? Um, the rents have generally gone up, right? And a third thing, um, financing has got easier um, each year. Right? So these all factors have been effectively 
Um, you've got an asset that's going to increase in value. You've got tenant demand increasing and therefore in rents going up. Yeah. And financial conditions uh, easy. Okay. And what you have to remind yourself is everybody's used to that environment. Yeah. And now we're going to enter probably a two year period where number one, you're going to buy a property whose value is going to be worth less 12 months from now. And you're probably going to buy a property whose rent is going to go down in 12 months from now. Right. And in the moment you buy it, the financial institution, the great banks of this world are not going to be on your side. Every, every bank will lend you some money. Right. But you do not know these terms and conditions going into recession. So one of the things I always say is get yourself educated. Right. Um, you know, uh, most people have not had enough experience in the last recession to know what that's happening. So all we're doing is we, uh, whilst we are talking about COVID, it is the fact that pre-lockdown, uh, there was a certain set of market conditions. In the next two years, those market conditions are absolutely going to change. What has always been given as solid right, is suddenly going to be unsolid. But that's where opportunity comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have to now have a business structure and an idea which says you can go and buy an asset and be comfortable that it may be worth less a year from now. How do you cope with that? Most people have been buying for the last 10 years and it's always gone up, you know, buy, do something, refinance one, two, three years later. Do you see? Now you're going to end up where you may not be able to refinance a year later. Might have to wait four years before you can refinance, mm -hmm. right? The rental demands may be going down temporarily. So going into that, that's the thing that I need to make people aware of, right? So one of the things I always say to people is, look, the whole property world, there's about three or four uh, cycles that tend to happen. So you, we, we've had the... Um, uh, uh, recovery so the price is going up what we're going to have is a very short uh, down market this is when you know all the crap hits and you can generally see that from uh, the stock market then we're going to have a period of post that which is just the uh, um, uh, recessionary uh, fallout where prices kind of go nowhere uh, as we get the recovery yeah. So what um, uh, the question that I would say to people is, how are you adjusting your strategy? And the thing that you've got to look at is what was working uh, on the up may not necessarily be the best strategy uh, or you have to adjust it uh, to go forward. So um, I would say um, you've got to look at the fact that the valuations at the time you buy and more importantly, the valuations one year, 18 months. You, you need to be mindful of that because everyone's going to make this assumption that because I bought it at this price, it's still going to be worth that. So we can see um, that we had that because of the COVID, the impact on the stock market. Look at all the asset prices um, at the beginning of uh, the year and then look at what happened at the end of the quarter. The businesses were fundamentally the same, but because of just uh, the impact, uh, there's been a, a change. 
But also look at the stock market now. There's, it's recovering. Yeah. And what you can do and why I say it's important to look at the stock market is it's a reflection of what's going to happen in the economy. And what's going to happen in the economy will get reflected uh, in uh, property. But the thing with property, because it's less liquid, it will just take longer for that. So at this moment in time, you, you have a fantastic run up. You've got time with the lockdown to be prepared uh, and the fallout will happen in the next uh, 18 months to two years. Right. So this is the time to get educated and get prepared. Look at all the strategies that have been working uh, uh, pre uh, the recession and say, OK, which one of those am I going to ditch? Some ideas are going to just go out the window because they're not going to be right for the recessionary period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or you may have to adjust. Yeah. Which means you just got to tread a little bit more cautiously because most investors are not experienced in buying assets that are going to be worth less in you know uh, six months 12 months so then you've got to figure out well how am i going to get through that that period right yeah what i always remind people is this millionaires are made in recessions right the rest of the world figures out who those are at the top of the market mm. right so for me um the wonderful thing about a recession is that's the time to be out there making friends because the people crazy enough to be doing property when all the indicators say no, right? It draws a certain type of character. Mm. Do you see? Right. Mm. Um, and so um, that, again, that 10% is definitely identified uh, in that period. Right. So it's, it's a good time to meet uh, those people. Yeah. Um, so, so that would be some comments I, I would make is, don't don't focus on the uh, biological situation. Focus on the fact that that has generated a uh, economic situation, which you should be figuring out. How do I prom profit from this economic uh, situation? That's some great advice there, Vanish. Something you said that um, just there towards the end about meeting people out there still buying and still doing things in property. Um, so I bought I bought a property two two weeks uh, sorry three weeks into um, into COVID nineteen at auction, and it was really strange because I was a little bit kind of like oh should I do it should I not I did my figures on it did my sums on it and it was really really something that stuck out on the last call that I was on um, with Jay was something that you said and you said you want to be looking at those kind of properties above a shop that might be two to three bedrooms that will rent quite easily that are quite cheap. And when you said that, I was like, man, that's exactly what I've bought. Have I bought the right thing? And kind of when you said that, I was like, maybe this method of madness that's running through my head or this, this way of thinking could be correct. You may have got it right, James. Granted, we've got a few issues with the lease at the moment with some headline leases before it goes through to completion. But I thought, Am I am I crazy? Am I doing the right thing buying? Because everybody's out there, you know, people that haven't invested in property saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. There's a lot of scaremongering going on. So kind of I, I hear what you're saying. That kind of 10 percent is very far and few. And I'm finding it that I need to kind of keep my thinking with that 10 percent and almost ignore what the 90 percent are saying moving forward. Yes. So what happens is um, the problem, the problem is when you're first getting started, right, uh, you look up to people like me, right, and, th and then 
we want in a 30 minute segment the answer of what should I do for the next three years in detail do you see right mm-hmm. uh, and so we I, I, I like to give people tools and ideas that will help them right but within the time frame that, that we have right and the more time we have um, the easier it will be but um, one of the things that uh, I would say to you James is uh, you did your calculations mm-hmm. yeah and who were the three or five people that you got to sound check uh, your idea so I basically sent the the details of the property to five of the agents that work in that area so I sent it them to them for a sales appraisal and a rental appraisal and three of them came back and said to me look this no, is no, a no. tough that's, not, that's oh. not the question that's not the question i asked right sorry right that's not the question i asked the question i asked was who were the three to five people who are doing what you do who are sitting in your seat yeah to double check your work do you understand what i mean by that um, so, let me, so let me clarify okay um, you're going to hire a solicitor, you're going to hire a broker, you might hire a builder. All mm-hmm. of these people are going to be on your power team. Yeah. Right. But they're not part of your boardroom. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in your property business, what's your job title? Um, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kind of, I'm the director. I'm the only director, CEO, MD. <laughs> yeah? But on, on, by title, yes. But... Yeah, yeah. Right. So what happens is, you need to remind yourself, agents, um, you know, your solicitor, they are not sitting in your seat, right? Mm-hmm. They're, part, they're sitting at, in your power team, so that in your power team, they're sat out there. But ultimately, the most important thing you can do is figure out um, either uh, you've got to get CEOs, right, to be part of your boardroom, right? And ideally, the best thing is get what I call a chairman. Okay. Right. So everyone all goes about the CEO. But the most important thing is, right, who is the uh, person that the CEO goes and talks to and that they can have that conversation uh, to prove what they're doing, accountability. Right. The thing in the corporate world is we all have a boss. Boss tells you what to do, where to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Wonderful thing about property is there is no boss. Yeah. Do you know why so many people fail, James, in property? Um, no, I don't. Because I've got no boss. Mm-hmm. Do you see? Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you've got to look at is you've got to surround yourself with a handful of people, right, who can do your job. Okay. Ideally, you can do it better. Yeah. <laughs> right. And have a good enough relationship that when you're doing something stupid, they say, James, that's a stupid thing that, that you're doing. Right. And they can separate stupid action from stupid person. Mm-hmm. Do you see? Mm-hmm. Right. So I know like within 15 minutes, I could ask you, great, show me your deal. Right. What do you do? What's your thinking? Right. And asking you the questions. Right. And then they can say, well, knowing you, knowing the deal and knowing your business strategy, that makes sense. Execute on that. Right. What happens is, is if you go to an agent, agent's always going to say yes. Right. Right. And the agent is an employee. Right. Because what happens is an agent does not if they if you make the wrong decision, they're not involved in it. They've got no they have not sat in your seat long enough 
to understand. And then that's when doubt occurs. Like, am I doing the right thing? Mm. Do you see? Right. And most people don't know. Um, they spend a lot of time analyzing a deal. But they don't know how to present it to their boardroom. So that that way, you know, like you, you may have a running partner. You may have somebody that's another person that kind of competing is at your level. And they give you the sanity check. Because in this in this world, we're, I call it the property jungle, right? Uh, because, you know, you're going to get cuts and bruises, right? And you will have to always have some measure of, am I heading in the right direction? Mm. Do you see? Am I, am I going in a path that's going to get me where I want to get to? Right? And most people are lost for the woods for the trees. Number one, pay too much attention to the 90%. Do you see? Now, the 90%, you may think are just, you know, like, oh, they're the people working, right? But your solicitor is not an entrepreneur. They're a non-risk taker. Yeah. Right? You know, by definition, you know, they're done that way. Uh, agents are employees. Yeah? Because what happens in every deal, like the deal you did, um, did you have to put your hand in your pocket? Yeah. Right. How, you know, by, by how much? A couple of hundred? No, no, it was, it was a, it was a cheap deal. 25 grand. Right. There you go. But you put your hand in your pocket. Yeah. Do you see? Right. And so what happens is um, you had that, but um, the bit that uh, you didn't focus on is getting your, your strategy and your plan audited. Yeah. So whenever I do a deal, right. I have between three and five people that I can pick up the phone and go, Mate, you know, I, I need an hour of your time. This is a deal I'm thinking of doing, or this is what I'm thinking of doing, right? I, I'm an adult. I can make my own decision, but I just want your input, your views, right? Tell it to me straight. Is this, a, is, is what is the thing I'm looking at? Is it stupid, right? Or is it good? Or what, what things do you think I've missed, you know? And that's enough. That, that's the sanity check. Right. So we know in big corporate worlds, right, you have an accountant and you have a third party audit to make sure things are done in the banks. We always have two people count the money so that uh, mistakes uh, are not made. Right. When you're running your own business, you make the ultimate decision. But it's the things that you miss or the things that you're not doing. Or am I, for example, am I being driven by my ego to do a deal? Yeah. Right. So and that's really hard. So you have to have some mechanism in place that kind of brings you back in check. Or am I heading off in a direction that really is going to make me feel good, but it may not make feel good in the future. So uh, these are important things uh, that you want to to figure out. And that's the reason why you go meet people. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you can surround that and cultivate that those kind of relationships. They're the most profitable relationships you'll ever have. Mm. Right. And, you know, they can be professional. You can hire people and you can maybe have it from a friendly. But whatever way, don't go uh, in the jungle by yourself. Right. The odds of you dying. Right. We know this from um, they do this in the army. Right. A team goes into a jungle. Right. If you go diving, don't go diving alone. You see. Right. Mm-hmm. And same in property. Don't buy a property by yourself. Yes, you have a lawyer. Yes, you have a solicitor. Yes, you have a broker. Right. 
but they they have they have not had enough experience sitting in your seat so it's hard for them to comment you see they can comment from a legal perspective they can promote from you know the lettings perspective but the bit is it's about the ceo now that makes a, that makes a hell of a lot of sense there vanish some of the things you said how does one who's relatively new in the property game find a chairman or find these people to be on part of your board you've got to get out there basically and and talk to people um when you have nothing and somebody has a greater knowledge experience you've got to figure out how to make a friend out of them first so start with that mm-hmm. you know um get known right uh, get friendly and and uh, just offer loads of people the opportunity to have coffee with you mm-hmm. so uh, so a leverage i would do if you're a beginner and um so in our in if we look at you and me right um i'm older wiser you're younger and hungry mm-hmm. right and what you do is you take that and you magnify it and leverage it yeah so you go meet somebody and you just oh you look very experienced you know or you sound like you've had a great success can a young inexperienced person uh convince you to give a bit of your time uh, and maybe i can buy you a coffee or two Mm-hmm. right so what you do is you ap- appeal to their charitable side yeah okay so you make it make it easy for them uh, to get involved in your life hey can i update you on what i'm doing you see okay. so don't make yep. it a heavy ask you know like i did this early on right i would go and badger people and uh i, I got one guy once um i i drove him to an event I said, I'll pick you up um, and I'll just be your, you know, drive. This was before even Uber was ever invented, right? I said, I'll just be your chauffeur, you know, I'll take you there or, you know, uh, that. and we had a bit of negotiating and, you know, I, I, I drove him and uh, he spoke and chat and, you know, I, I said, if you want to do your work, you don't need to speak with me, but invariably you're there, get him a coffee, guess what happens? So, you know, I've got an hour or two out of them. It's just, it's your job to be creative, right? Entrepreneur, it's all about find an individual, right? Uh, say a few things and then make an offer. And just keep figuring out uh, as many offers. Uh, and again, it's a numbers game. Wow. Sometimes you meet one person that's a little bit like middle tier, connect with them, you know, add a bit of value there and then say, hey, can you open the door for me, right? Who do you know in your network that uh, it would be okay? Could you facilitate that? We think all we think joint venturing and leveraging is all about raising capital, right? It's meet people, figure out the assets and things that they have, and then figure out how can you leverage that. You only have to meet a handful of people, and then they can facilitate open doors again most people coming into property when they go to you know an event they, they are clueless as to how to make that room work for them. Mm. but you know we all got to start somewhere so i'm happy to share a few things that uh, can help people accelerate and get to the finish line quicker no that's really great advice there vanish i've actually been scribbling down a load of notes here for myself personally as well that i'm gonna kind of put into my resources bank and and definitely refer back to that 
So no, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that, especially the one about the chairman. I think that's very important. Like you said, it can be quite a lonely place when you're the only person making a decision. And when you've got 90% of the people breathing so much rubbish in your ears, some of it somehow manages to get into your head. And like you say, I think it's very important that you run the deal pass. But even when you said you could reach out to someone and just say, hey, do you mind me updating you on what I'm doing? Just the way you word it and phrase it is is some fantastic advice there. So I will definitely be taking that on board myself. Sure, I'm more, more, than, more than happy. Um, the thing that happens is, and this is the bit that's difficult when you're new, is uh, you have to learn the boundary, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I'll, I'll share something for your audience. Whenever you go to a live event, okay, um, now I've done a fair amount of public speaking, right? And one of the things I do is I hang out with other people who speak, right? And I ask them this question, right? And I say, hey, you know, when you go speak, right? How many people in a year do you think you get in front of, you know? And some people go, I get in front of uh, maybe a few hundred. Some people get in front of a thousand. And I go, so what percentage of the audience come up to you and offer to buy you a drink or a coffee or carry your bag or, you know, do something nice to you. Just look after you for 10 minutes. So I'll ask you that question, James. I'm guessing it was uh, quite a small number. Okay, well, pick a number out of 100 people. How many people do you think uh, come up and and, uh, and live event and uh, uh, just, you know, what, what I say, do something that your mother would do, you know, like uh, give them a bit of food or drink or whatever. <laughs> just look after the person, yeah? Eight people? It's 1%. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I'm a data person. So I go, this is my personal, and I've been doing this for like 10 years, right? And it's, it's about 1% of people that come up to me, right? Um, and I ask other people, hey, roughly, you know? Now, uh, some people, they might have two or three. I, I, I intimidate people up, up front. I just tell people, <laughs> I, I'm not the rah-rah, okay? Uh, and if you come up to me, uh, be prepared to uh, be in the growth zone, yeah? So I probably know that I have a slightly lower uh, there. But what I tell people is, the reason I share that statistic is, it is easy to get into that 1%, right? You'll see whether I'm speaking, hosting, or whatever, right? Um, I, that's just my nature, right? You know, uh, give to the other person. The more you give, 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 then it will come back, right? It is, it, that's the reason why when people walk in a room, they're in the information, you know, I call them, you know, the, the information uh, uh, people, and they just want to suck, suck the information out of you. Right. The, the, you want to get notice, do something nice for somebody. Mm. That's it. Just you, you figure out whatever that is. That's your differentiator. You do that. People will notice. Right. Um, so go up to the speaker and figure it out. Don't wait uh, to figure out a problem. Look for a problem they have and just fix it. Mm. Right. That's that's how you get you know noticed. No, that's a, that's a great little tip. Again, I remember uh, Jay who interviewed you last week. He, we were at a property networking event, and it was it was actually Susanna Cole's birthday, and he had a you know he had a I think he must have I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that he prepared this, but he must have had a great book in his bag. He wrote a little personal note on there. He ran up to her and he gave it to her, and I still remember this. And I thought, wow, what a way of getting in with someone. And I know he got a shed load of knowledge out of a load of expertise from her for just doing that one act of kindness. And the fact that she remembered it and posted it on her social and shared it, I thought, 
what a way of getting into someone rather than just waiting in a long queue saying, excuse me, can I ask you this? And get yeah, noticed. yeah, of course. I, I tell people, look, by all means, come and ask me a question. Um, and, uh, and I say it's very easy to be different in this organization, right? Because we, what happens is, is uh, you, that, that, again, being selfless at the beginning will pay rewards in the future, right? Uh, but you have to figure that out. It's just um, most people don't know that they can do that because mm. they think, oh, it's being, being rude. Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, it's if you take care of that person in some shape, uh, do a selfless act, uh, actually, uh, again, it will it will come back. Uh, and these these stories you'll see repeated again and again. Mm. And it's easy to be in that one percent. Right. Again, in the corporate world. Um, you don't see that happening here. This as an entrepreneur, right? We we all think of uh, you know marketing, looking after a customer, great customer experience, right? But you you have uh, don't wait for a customer to to you know sign up to be a customer. You get to choose sometimes your customers. You know if you if you you know very simple. Write down ten people that you want to be in part of your network. Go do some good stuff. If one of them uh, uh, joins your network and, and it succeeds. That's fine. The nine that don't go anywhere, who cares? Mm. Do you see? All right, because yeah. we, we spend too much time worrying about the the little failures. Yeah, it's like you know your podcast. I said, right, let's get on with it. Yeah, right. I I am not going to get too concerned by trying to figure out. It, all all it is is when you become an entrepreneur. Good enough is good enough. Mm. Right? Get going, get better. Yeah. No, some really, really sound advice. I'm really, I'm really taking this in for myself as well here, man. It's learning a, learning a trick or two. I, I remember when I used to have a print firm, I think back now, some of the things I used to do to get some of the clients on boards that I really wanted to work with, like you say, create a list. And I used to, I knew the director was born in the 80s, so I'd send him a sweet hamper with sweets from the 80s and just a simple note like, have a sweet day, give us a shout next time you need something. And, you know, £25 for a little hamper went a long bloody way in the sense that when he did call me, the work that came off the back of it was great. And I'm thinking, why are we not doing that improperly? What's kind of changed? The entrepreneur's still there. It's just... This is the thing about... um one of the things I try to explain to people is you've got to get good at making offers. So for example, if you go to a normal event, you know, depending on the different types of locations, but they're anywhere between 10 and 20 pounds, you know, that's the sort of normal ticket price. And then you've got your travel there. And what I say is make sure you spend at least 10, 20 pounds on the audience. It might be, you might, you may decide to spend that on the speaker. You might send that on the person next to you, but invest in getting those relationships, those conversations started, right? I tell people you need to be spent, you need to uh, purchase at least a hundred coffees. I know this in my business. We, we have a budget set aside for spending money on coffees, you know, and, and it's, you know, like 500 to a thousand pound a year. Wow. Right. Okay. So I, you know, when, when I, we, we spend enough money, Right. Because we know that that's the, where the ROI comes from. I want to have a, such a, you know, a, a big enough coffee bill uh, that it will, it's a, it, the ROI of that is massive. Mm. I mean, fortunately, today we managed to do this virtually. So we, we, we save ourselves the, 
the expense of the coffees, but it's the concept, you see, yeah. right? Because yeah. it, it multiplies, right? And what most people don't do is they don't sit down and say, how many people am I going to meet? How many people are going to have some engaging conversation, right? And some of those will go somewhere. Don't worry about the ones that go nowhere, right? You know, just get past the first one or two conversations and then then you can make an assessment. Huh? Okay, this person, there's a, there's some synergy. Let's go there. So I, I, I do like in a nice way, James, uh, this is a classic blind date. You know, um, so to give context to the audience, uh, you sent me a message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then you were persistent. Yeah. So in a nice way, I ignored your first one to see if you're made of entrepreneurial stuff. And then you did a polite follow up. Yeah. Then we did a bit of messaging back and forth. And I said, right, I'll, I'll jump on the call. Yeah. You got this window of time. Let's create some content and. We'll, we'll go from there because if you if you spend too much time analyzing, you never then get into executing. Mm. Do you think? I think the thing is, uh, Vanish, because I know that you've uh, mentored Susanna Cole and Susanna made it quite clear that you need to have uh, five to nine touch points with a person before they actually come back to you with something. I was well clued up on your training tactics in terms of making contact. And I knew the first message would be ignored. And I thought maybe the first three will be ignored. But I thought from what Susanna's told me, this has probably come from Vanish anyway. I know I know the process to kind of go through now. But there's also an important, um, do, you, do you understand why we talk about like 10 touch points? Um, not, not entirely, if I'm honest with you. Because what happens is, is that this is the bit that I, I, I try to explain to people. Um, when you meet somebody, right, um, you need to figure out what you're going to do in the next 10 weeks. And, and that's a touch point. Um, and all of them count because what happens is the bit that we do not know, we cannot tell is how busy or what state of mind they are in that week. Mm-hmm. Right. So what tends to happen as the entrepreneur, um, we play this game in our head. I sent a message and the person did not reply. Right. And your instinct is what was wrong in the message? Um, what's wrong with me? Right. And we go through all of that. Yeah. Okay, and what you have, what I have to teach people is, um, it's like knocking on the door, right? That's all you're doing on a touch point, right? And so, um, and again, uh, the way that you communicate. So this is my communication. Um, I knock on the door, and I say, "Hey, would you like to come out and play?" All right, and then I wait, and as long as there's a clear action that they're interested in some way. That's it. Now, here's the important thing is the bit I'm fixated in is just clearly locking on the door and saying, would you like to come out and play? Would you like to come and go for a walk? Would you like to whatever? I'm not concerned with whether they say yes or no. Because what I know is that the no is no, I'm busy. Right. Or no, I don't know you enough. Right. Or no, uh, I, I've got this other thing and I can't really give you the full attention. You, you learn this after time. Yeah. So like in your message. OK. Um, and this is a, a feedback to yourself is um, make the first request a simple request. OK. So that that way they can say yes. Right. So 
um, uh, your request could have been just, uh, can you, um, if you're busy or whatever, a, a thank you would be enough. So I don't even have to take action. So a lot of times, um, you know, people, um, you're going to invite people onto your podcast. Yeah. Right. And um, what you said was, uh, can I can I have your information so that I can then send you my schedule? Da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> right. So here's another way you could have done it. And again, it's about knocking on the door. Right. And thinking about what is the yes that, that you were looking for. Right. Right. Okay. So a way you could have done it. And this is why I, I normally tell people is, hey, this is what I'm doing. Da, da, da. Um, would it uh, would it be possible for you to come on my show in the next 12 months? Yeah. And, and, and all I need is a simple yes or no, thank you. Mm-hmm. You see? So all I then had to do was spend time processing that. Right. Which was say yes, sometime in the next 12 months. I can do that in the first message, can't I? Mm-hmm. As soon as you say to me, uh, hey, can you come on my podcast? I want to send you an email with all the schedules and everything. I'll tell you what's happening in my head. Yeah, I've got to find the time. I've got to now research this thing, figure out who this character is. Where's it going? Right. Who's it going to be about? How's his brand going to affect my brand? Do you see? So yeah. in, in, in sometimes when we do this touch point, you, you, you need to say, well, how are they going to say yes? And how is that yes going to make them feel? And how can they say no, thank you, or not sure, you know, right? So what tends to happen is because we're impatient, we ask for the big yes. Mm. And I always, always say, go for the small yes. Small yes. Mm. So here's, here's how you get people on the show. Number one, you go, hey, this is my podcast, and this is what you can do. You can check me out, give them all the information. Um, I'd love to have you uh, sometime in the next, you know, year. Because now we don't need to get into the when. Do you see? Right. And then when they say yes, you go, great. Okay. Now you you do the, here's the schedule. Here's the dates and times. Yeah. Now you haven't done the third email, which I'll teach you today. Mm-hmm. After you've done the podcast, what are you going to send me? I'm going to send you a thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what's the, and what's the next offer or request? Um, I am then going to see if I can touch base with you again in six months time. Cool. That's good. So get into the, again, here's what happens. Um, so in, in, in you doing your first message, did you have mapped out the next 12 weeks? No, I didn't. No. You see? So the difference between you and me, right? We, we, I know what's going to happen right now. My, the path is determined by the other person. Right. So uh, what you should do, do the thank you. Great. All right. Then you say, you know, here's the podcast. Da, 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 right. The follow up message is, hey, thank you for being my show. Appreciate the support. Right. Um, can I ask you to m- maybe recommend three or four people or suggest three or four people that I should get in touch with that you think would be appropriate for the show? Wow. Yeah. OK. If no one comes to mind today. Yeah. You've got to learn the art of leverage. Because, again, what you're doing as the CEO is you're going, 
it's my job to do everything. Mm. Right? You are the project manager. Yeah? You are not leveraging this relationship because you haven't been taught how. Mm. Right? Um, from every great conversation, right, if it's great, and if they think it's appropriate, another conversation will happen. And that will happen later, but at least you've planted the seed to say, oh, who else do you think I should have a chat with, you know? Right? Because you're doing all the heavy lifting. Do you see? Now, you did well in, in your initial because you introduced yourself and then you gave context where you weren't a complete random stranger. You had a third party that you could use to link it and connect it. And, you know, we had a, a little bit of time live, so you weren't completely there, right? Do you see? Yeah, yeah. Right? But again, um, you've got loads of people that have come on your uh, podcast, but you haven't continued following up, following up. No, you're absolutely right. I haven't. No, no. That's some really, really good points, actually, especially the one about just asking for a recommendation. Yeah. And again, phrase it in the right way. Who do you, you know, having been on the show, having experienced it and had a good time, right? Who do you know that you think uh, I should be talking to, right? Yeah. Now, maybe they just give you the name. That's it. Do you see? They, they won't do the intro. Some people will go and then do an intro. Now, now what happens is you can send a message to that person. Hi. I had so-and-so, right? He told me that I should contact you. What's the response rate on that message? You've broke down the ice, haven't you? Because there's been a connection where someone knows it's not, I'm not going in cold. I'm not going in blind. Yeah, yeah. And so what happens is, is when you're going in blind, right, your response level is low. If you have a third party, right, and... So what, what always happens is that you've got to learn. And the reason I say you learn that skill is because deal flow, opportunity, money flow, it's all the same. Mm. Do you see? Um, you're, you're meeting people and you're doing the, hey, I'm knocking on the door. See? So now what I do is I knock on the door and I slip a note and it's got the name of the other person. They said, oh, they come and hang out with me. And they said, I should knock on your door, right? Because you would enjoy hanging out with me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm cold calling now, am I? I'm no. just facilitating. Mm. You see? And, and that's, the, that's the whole thing about property is you connect with people. I just say, look, connect with 100 people, right? Have conversations. Some of them will be good conversations. Figure out. There'll be others that uh, after, you know, knocking on the door six, seven times, then uh, that's it. Then they've made the decision. They've given you a clear no. If they haven't responded after, you know, you've got no, no, no decision, no decision, no decision after 10, right? Then, you know, okay, time to move on, right? Find some other people. But uh, the thing that happens is most people just don't knock on the door enough. And my mindset is this. I knocked on the door this week, right? Um, and in this week, maybe this is the week when, uh, they're not so busy that they can pay attention to it, mm. right? The week after, I need to erase my history because I'm just knocking on that door, right? I reach out, I do my thing, right? Which is knock on the door, say, hello, right? Um, are you interested in going for a walk? Are you interested in uh, having some fun? Are you interested in having some food? Whatever, right? Now, 
it makes it easier when uh, you can do a third party recommendation. And, and we're all about make life easy. Like you've got to get up the mountain, right? If you do all the carrying, guess what happens? You're worn out. Is how, yeah. So le- leverage people for knowledge, leverage people for introductions, leverage people for money, right? Leverage people for emotions. You, you've got to find some people that when, you know, that, you know, it's just shitty. Things are not going well that you can message them and they just bring you back up. They bring you, they're, they're important on your army, right? People think a power team is lawyer, right? They're the easy people to find, right? The people that are going to help you with the emotions, you know, because that's what it is, is dealing with, you know, ups and downs, yes and no, one deal, the deal's on, it's off, then this problem occurs, right? How are you going to get through that battlefield? You can sit there with a spreadsheet that says, this is a great deal. You know, okay. And I tell people that's not the challenge, right? The analysis bit is how are you going to get through that? Everybody's going to say this is crap and you're stupid, right? And then this problem occurs, that problem occurs. Because, um, for example, if you're doing a deal, uh, we're doing a, you know, classic buy to sell. And I tell people this, 364 days, the only thing that's going to happen to your bank account is money's going to go out. On day 365, you get this ton of cash and everyone thinks you're a genius. Mm. But the day before, you're just a mug. <laughs> you know, you're, you're running around, uh, solicitors getting rich, brokers getting rich, investors getting rich, builders getting rich. You're just dealt with all this debt. Yeah, it's only at the end, do you see? And you've got, and people are just not aware of the emotional challenges of working through that. Mm. So if you can, get a good mentor, get a good chairman, get somebody that sat in your seat, you know? Find some other people who are in, you know, competition with you but are friendly, right? So that that way you, you, you've got yourself around that entrepreneurial environment. Yeah, because it's 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 a mental thing, not a physical thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's how you deal with the emotional ups and downs, right? That I think is important. So, whichever way um, uh, you do it as an entrepreneur, you've you've got to figure it out. So, what I always look at in the plan is people have a very clear business plan. This is what I'm going to do, and I go, well, how are you going to keep sane for the next you know twelve months? How are you going to manage with all those stresses? Do you see? So balance, balance that. Uh, it's not just you've got to focus on your financial bank account, but you must have enough emotional rocket fuel uh, to get you through. And this is why, like with the, this lockdown, you know, classic, you're isolated, but but you can be connected. Do you see? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great way of looking at it, because like you say, we get fixated with the end goal and we don't realize that there's a massive journey to go through getting there like 364 days before you sell and you get your money in. You are just a mug but and you need to manage those 364 and, days. And there's internal fear, like, will it happen and it gets delayed and did I do this right and all that. And that's the reason why you want to sort of stick around with other people uh, to see there. And also, um, you know, uh, there will be landmines and problems that you're not aware of. 
So by meeting people who have been successful or got some different experiences, just they'll, they'll give you some some things to think about. Hey, think about this. So, you know, like I said today, um, we're, you're entering a recessionary period. How are you adapting and changing your mark, uh, your strategies to get you through that? Mm-hmm. Right. Most people will be, oh, OK, uh, what, what are you going to do when it all comes back? And I go, it ain't coming back. What, what the good times that we had, right, that's done, right? We're in, we're in this recessionary period, right? Unemployment is going to be 10% plus, right? What experience do you have investing when uh, you're in that situation? The last time that we had, you know, high unemployment was back in 2007 and eight. For most people, you know, they were still at university or at school. Yeah. So learning to a change, you know, that's why... Uh, in this environment, you're going to have to relearn new new things, right? But like I said back, millionaires are found in in, in the recessionary period. So the opportunity, because uh, a load of people will leave our little industry because they'll say, "Oh, it's a little bit tough" or "It's a little bit difficult." You say, right? So anybody that's mad enough to stick it out uh, <laughs> will see the rewards uh, on the other side. That's great. Banish, I want to move on to my next question. The HMO market, how do you think this is going to be affected in particular student rentals? Uh, so short term, I think um, there's going to be certain issues. So if you're already in the market, um, your challenge is going to be uh, people leaving. Right. So you're going to have the, the challenge of um, how do you deal with uh, empty units? Uh, because some people will have left before the term finishes because of obviously uh, students and uh, other people um, uh, will have gone home or whatever right um, so so short term it's the fact that you're going to have maybe some empty rooms and how do you deal with that because it's just going to be a bit more challenging in doing viewings and getting people back in um, the other longer term issue is that um, technically speaking universities are not 100% going to be open in the next season because in student market uh, most students rent for the whole year, right? So anybody in this current market, they've got tenancy agreements and guarantors and everything that will cover them through to the end uh, of this season, right? Um, most people, if you're in the student market, you should be fortunate because people who are going to be uh, in, in university in October will have already placed their down payments starting January. So some people will have been okay, right? But you you will have uh, vacant if you haven't uh, achieved it at that point. So the, the challenge really is um, how, how are the uh, universities going to uh, deal with uh, reopening? By the time this uh, uh, virus is kind of resolved a little bit, um, I think the education uh, market will be fully back up and running. There'll be social distancing. Some of it will be um, you know, distant learning and everything, um, uh, students will still need to go and find accommodation, right? Most of them have already got it pre-done. Uh, um, and uh, when, as soon as the university sort of clears uh, the system and everything, um, you will have uh, people uh, wanting to, to rent back. I don't think the student population is going to change. What I have recommend people is um, have a plan B. So if you have a property um, that you're thinking about the student market. The whole thing about designing the things is you can always rejig it for other people. You can go temporarily and go for professional. Uh, you can go for short-term market. You could, if it, it 
fits in your area, you could go for uh, social housing temporarily until the market recovers, right? So the way I would do it is um, if you've got a HMO, always have three different uh, demographics um, that you can rent to and then do the test marketing in all of them to then figure out which is the one uh, that you want to have your mix in. So if you've got all student housing, you may say, okay, let's take 20% and put it into a different market. Do you see? But keep the type of people roughly the same in each uh, each unit. All right. Um, and that's the, the whole thing about um, the design of any property is you can, it's not that difficult to adjust it. So if you've got a student let, you want to put all the students together because they tend to be of that age. But how much work is it to switch that to then young professionals? Uh, not too much. And then there's, there's also charities and other specialists that you could do temporarily until um, the, the market recovers. But long term, um, that's the great thing about HMOs is um, it's relatively easy to adjust um, when uh, one market uh, changes or demographic uh, moves. That's some sound advice. And it's, uh, it's uh, put a smile on my face because that's partly where we are with student lets and a few HMOs that are privately uh, to private professionals as well. Do you feel um, we also get involved in new builds? So like the very small, like very odd plots of land. Some of the new builds we've done are like kind of one and a half stories high. So part submerged in the ground. It might just be a one bedroom, always very quirky looking. How do you feel that market will be affected moving forward? Um, so the first question is, um, who, who are the type of people that buy your units? Well, they are they're affluent young professionals. So the last one we sold was to a, a solicitor and a, and a agency kind of. Was that manager. using help to buy? No, no, it oh, wasn't. So no, no, they saved much, up. How much deposit? How much deposit did they put down? They put, they bought it for five hundred, and I think they had around about. I think they were saying they had about a fifteen percent deposit, from what I remember. Okay, all right. So I think um, that market is not going to be that much affected, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and the reason is because uh, going into a recession. Um, the people that have got that sort of money, 20% deposit, you know, if that's your market, um, the banks will be okay with them, mm-hmm. right? The challenge it going into a recession is ultimately, if you're doing buy to sell, because when you're doing new build, right, you're selling on to the person that's going to buy, right? And what you find is that most of that money is coming from the bank, not the individual. So what happens is, is the banking conditions for your buyer determine how successful you are as, as the developer. So what will happen is um, help to buy people will have a struggle because they've got the 5% government guarantees and all that. Um, and that market will be shrinking a bit. The people that are going to be, I, I think if you're targeting the people with 20% deposit, um, they'll be, they'll be uh, fine in that area. What happens is this in the recession, all the the nice, sexy, 95 percent LTV, you know, cover this or those products disappear. And if that's your market in terms of what they need to buy. Yeah, then you're not going to have as many people. What I always tell people is in a recession, the desire for to buy, buy property never goes away. Right. But the ability does because the banking conditions totally change. 
Yeah. And depending on how much fallout we get from the recession, right, the banks are going to be asking more questions for the buyers, you know, uh, credit, uh, income statement, stability of job. So, for example, the person that's a solicitor that's got a stable corporate job, they're going to be A graded rated. Then in the good times, the the builder or, you know, the uh, person that's self-employed would normally have got just squeezed through and got a mortgage. Right. They're going to be at the back of the queue. Right. Right. Because in, in a recession, the banks go for quality of lender. Right. Um, in, a, in an upward market, the banks go for everybody because they want to get the volume of business. So they take the the, you know, the B grades and the C grade type applicants because they want to build their loan book. Right. In recession, they're not interested in uh, increasing their default rates. So they go for quality of people. So they shrink their loan book, which means go for the people that can ride the recession. Yeah. So what you need to be thinking always is um, who are the type of people that came, applied? Uh, what was their mortgage um, you know, uh, criteria? Did you interview the mortgage broker for the person that was buying? No. Right. Really important for you to do that. Right. What you must remember is um, you're not selling the property. You're selling it to the bank. Right. OK. Right. The buyer is underwriting the bank loan for you. Mm. Do you see? And if you don't under, if you do not interview the, the whoever is the prospective buyer and find out what the broker thinks in terms of that candidate, in terms of what's the product, who's it with? How easy yeah. was it for them to get? Mm-hmm. That's where all your money's coming from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. So, uh, again, what you then need to know is this is the criteria of the type of person that will buy. Yes, there's the who's going to fall in love with the property. Mm-hmm. But you should also know who's the bank or banks that are going to lend that enough and you know how much of the deposit. You need to have done all the calculations that the broker is going to do so that you can know that that uh, person is the person that um, even though you're selling it to them in this example here, 85% of the money that you received was from a financial institution. 15% was from the owner of the property. So the bulk of money comes from a bank. So um, the question you should be looking at is, right, who wants to buy, but then what is the, how is the banking uh, application system changing in that recessionary period? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who are they? Who are they wanting to lend to, and who are they not? So what happens is in a recessionary period, what we call the edge case, the people who were roughly who would have in good times got the loan, right? But you know they just got enough points and they they right. managed, right? Those people are going to disappear, but they're still going to come look at your property. But then you're going to have more fail at the uh, uh, mortgage stage. Because the banks are going to get more cautionary. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, so, so what I look at is um, just adjusting uh, at the end day. If you're doing any form of buy to sell, and even if you're doing refinancing, understand the key lesson that I want to give from the previous recession is banks' attitudes to you change in accordance with the market. It's got nothing to do with you. When a bank has got a whole bunch of other bad loans, right? They're going to do a, a universal, we're, we're reducing our loan book. Got nothing to do with you. You can have quality product. Loads of people want to buy it, but 
that's just uh, the decision that they'll make and you need to adjust for that so um your next in a recession that person's going to have to put down 20 percent mm-hmm. in a good time they may only have to put down 10 do you see so it just changes your window because the bank is changing the rules not the uh, the buyer the buyer is still going, is happy with the price but like with a lot of people they don't look at the terms until they're ready to buy something and then all the problems with the banks uh, will pop up there in terms of do they value the asset right um, are they happy with the the criteria of the individual so mm-hmm. that's why it becomes more challenging selling in a recession because just uh, banks ask for more and and they play silly games right um, you might be valuing at 500 in good times they'll value at 500 right in a recessionary period you're now going to get the bank going, uh, we don't think it's worth 500 we think it's only worth 475 mm. for security right yeah, of course. Uh, and therefore we need you basically to put more money in right so they're going to lend you a bit less he's going to have to put in an extra 25k mm-hmm. right that 25k is going to increase the security of the bank the bank knows worth 500 but they're just going to do the internal down valuation you see so the, your buyer now has to find another 25k. So even though the uh, LTV was 80%, it kind of goes down to uh, 77% or 75%. But it's, it's, this is one of the, the dynamics the banks plays. All right. And in a, in a contracting market, this is how the bank deals with uh, those things. And new people are not aware because, again, we're used to this formula. You buy it today, in, in a year, two years' time, the rent's going to go up. In, in a few years' time, the assets value is going to come down, right? And in a few years' time, when you come to doing the refinance, you can refinance, pull out a bit more money, and actually your monthly payment is about the same, right? And that's, that's what that happens when there's an upward trend, right? Next two to three years, we're going to either have a sideways, maybe a bit of a dip, and you've got to adjust how you're going to get through that. So refinancing is going to become challenging in the next two or three years mm-hmm. because, you know, the normal criteria, right, which is, oh, it's, it's going to be worth more. You can just pick, pick up your broker. Yeah. So uh, these are just things that uh, people who have been experienced um, need to be aware of because uh, you're assuming your, your fundamental business model is what has been working for the last almost 10 years is going to continue. Right. So we've had summer. Right. We're in the financial winter, which means you've got to be a little bit more uh, figuring things out. But interesting enough, a lot more bargains in the winter. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's, that's the way that you have to deal with things. Some really sound advice there again, uh, Vanish. Thank you for that. Uh, Vanish, we're coming up. Well, I think we're over an hour. And I know every time I jump on a call or a Zoom call with you, I know we can go on for hours because you've got so much value to give. I wanted to finish this podcast off on something you said earlier where you said the next 18 to 24 months, people should be getting educated. What are your thoughts on mentors and working with coaches? Uh, I think that, uh, if you can find the right mentor that you work with. So I have a couple of rules. Rule one is the mentee picks the mentor, right? Because you've got you've to gotta have, there has to be some synergy where you get on, right? So uh, you have to find uh, a mentor that you can connect with 
on a emotional level and a mental, you know, practical level, right? Um, so if you can find uh, someone of that nature that compliments you, um, they they make a difference. You know, I've I've mentored a number of people, uh, and um, you know, mentoring has a great opportunity as long as there's a good relationship between the mentee and the mentor. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that you've also I always say is, uh, whilst you get the right to pick your mentor. Right. Yeah. Uh, you also have to be a good mentee. Yeah. Right. Um, so like if you're going to find a coach or someone that's going to assist you, um, are you teachable? Are you able to do things? Right. So that's the reason why I say that the relationship has to be beneficial on both sides. Yeah. So when I uh, interview people that uh, are interested in it, we do a proper interview. We have, you know, uh, a chat and I find out about their strategy, what they're looking at. Um, I figure out whether I think I can add value and whether they'll execute on what we say, you know? Um, so for people, uh, who are, again, going it alone, figure out the best mentor, the best coach that fits your budget. Yeah. First starting off, don't go for the one that's the most expensive and all that. Right. Because you'll probably not benefit from it. Um, Mm -hmm. start with, uh, maybe finding a peer group, find some people, identify the people you want to follow you know so i always try to put out loads of free content so that people can you know uh, get a feel is is the philosophy of the mentor uh, going to fit uh, the individual does the personality fit right uh, and then try to you know um reach out figure out some stuff but also remind yourself um i've got to stand out i've got to um not uh, you know i've got to be a good mentee what, what am i developing as a person like I said, put yourself in the 1%, go meet the person, reach out, do something nice for them, you know. Um, again, um, that way you'll get, you'll also, both of you will get the best out of the relationship. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you have to, you uh, you have to figure out um, how you're going to use them, what, what questions you're going to be asking, right? Don't just leave that all to, to the mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, um, I would say the majority of people, if they're early in their stage, um, they will benefit uh, from some level of guidance. Um, mentors work in different ways. Some people will, um, you know, do like a year long program. They do it individually, one to one. Some people do a, a one day workshop. Uh, some people do a group uh, uh, mentoring. Figure out uh, what will fit within your budget, what's appropriate at your stage, even if all you do is drop a message to the person start, you know, like uh, um, you, you have to show that you are a good student, you know, and so you have to highlight, communicate, start that relationship, do the marketing touch points, make them on the horizon, know, know that you're aware. Right. And, and then it will naturally uh, evolve uh, over time. That's some really, really great advice there, Vanish. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to finish the podcast there. I'm so glad that you said that about finding a good mentor. I know I've got a very good mentor because she was mentored by you. So no doubt a lot of the stuff that she's delivering to us is definitely coming through. And I can see the more I speak to you, the more I engage in conversation with you, I can totally see where where Susanna's thinking comes from and a lot of it is from from some of the stuff you've probably taught us so Vanish once again thank you so much for giving me your time I know you're super busy you've given me far more time than you said you were going to give so I'm I really really do appreciate that and I 
And I know once I produce this into a podcast and people listen to it, I'm almost certain they're going to get just as much value as I did because I'll show you my notepad here. I've just been filling it up with loads and loads of notes for myself. And that very rarely happens on a podcast. So it's yeah. like I've had a I've had like a one-to-one tuition session this afternoon and, uh, I'm, and I'm just blown away. Cool. So how many, actually, I've got a couple of questions before we finish. Um, how many of these podcasts have you done so far? Um, I'm up to number, I've done about 22. 22. So you do like one, yeah. one a week pretty much? I try to, yeah, I try to, yes. Cool. So now... Um, I don't normally do very many podcasts. I, I generally tend to do more public speaking because it's just yeah. a chance for interaction. And, uh, and most of those events go on for a couple of hours and we have a chance uh, to do all that. Right. So um, now uh, one thing that I'm going to give you advice to help you. Right. Yeah. Is uh, have you decided uh, when you want to reinvite me back? Uh, I like to try and get people back within three to six months. Right. Is it? So shall, shall we make that decision? I, I know exactly where this is coming from because Susanna said this to me before. She goes, you never finish off a call without booking the person in for another call. Yeah. So it, that's okay. So wh- wh- like when you were doing the ending, like you make the decision and just you can you can do this publicly, which is fine, which is, which, you know, uh, uh, audience would like to have back because I the reason I know that is because again remember you know when you send that first message can you do this and the, right also got to think uh, now he's going to invite me back again yeah and <laughs> the reason now normally because we do live events and they, they're they're not happening every single week yeah uh, it's usually like a year or two that I get invited back yeah so I'm going to make life easy for you right if you feel that that is appropriate and you want to uh, do this again at some point yeah then drop me a message, right? And you figure out uh, when uh, we do it. But I think the three or six month or 12 month is, is a good uh, time frame. And then we'll see what bits that you've done uh, in terms of implementing and everything. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for you uh, uh, to do. But this is, again, the other thing that you, you want to, to do in the follow-up is that was great. I'd love to do that again. Okay. Right? Um, the reason I'm saying that is because um, you need to communicate what you're wanting to do without asking for it. Okay. Do you see? So it allows me to kind of go, oh, he's going to probably. So then I don't feel <laughs> surprised with that, you know, right? Uh, and yeah. you can figure out uh, that this is all part of leveraging the relationships, right? And thinking through, hey, just not first conversation, what's going to happen in the follow follow-up uh, parts and everything to go through it. Again, it's your job as the entrepreneur to map out um, what's going to happen over the course of the next 10 point touch points. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've had another touch point. Uh, you want to keep going. Yeah. Uh, figuring all that. So maybe in six months we'll, we'll, we'll do this again. I'll leave it with you as the, as, as the entrepreneur to run with it. Yeah. Appreciate um, uh, setting this all up. Um, I look forward to seeing what the, end finish uh, item is and then hopefully at some point in our uh, future uh, we will actually get to do this live that's great so I'll, I'll just rephrase that vanish this has been great i'd love to do this again and i'm going to reach out with the and i'm going to reach out after this and follow up there you go do you see how easy <laughs> and relaxing that was it was yes yeah okay great well look james i know um you, you've got lots of things to do so i appreciate inviting me on the podcast uh, and I'll um, look forward to seeing what the finished version looks like and 
um, yeah, look forward to doing this again in the future. Uh, also. Like, likewise. Thank you again, Vanish. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.